I think that the people who do really well just in life period look at anything that most people would view as like a setback or, or like a hurdle and see it as an opportunity. The following is a conversation with Barry Johnson. Barry's a back-end software engineer at LinkedIn, a new father, and a dear friend. Growing up, he thought he'd become a lawyer, but he eventually realized that wasn't for him. And Barry tells a story of how he leveraged experience from several different jobs to eventually land a role at LinkedIn. He's another great example of someone without a computer science degree breaking into tech. This is the Exponential Growth Podcast. To support it, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple or Spotify. And now, my conversation with Barry. Welcome to the Exponential Growth Podcast, where we demystify what it takes to break into tech. I'm your host, James Hudnell, and my goal is to highlight real-life examples of people moving into careers they love, so you can too. Barry, welcome. Thanks for having me on, James. I uh, really appreciate it. I'm currently an apprentice back-end engineer with LinkedIn. Definitely different from my previous role as a production reporting specialist. Um, back then, I was building dashboards, a lot of Excel for some executive-level leadership um, at my previous company, which was in real estate. Since moving over into uh, to LinkedIn now, I am building the back end of um, applications uh, for hiring solutions. So um, nice. it's been certainly been an, a, an adjustment, um, a lot of API work, a lot of coding in Java, which I was not familiar with before I joined LinkedIn. So um, yeah. it's been a roller coaster for sure. So take us back, you know, during your childhood, did you ever have grand designs of working for a company like LinkedIn and working as a software developer? I don't think that in my wildest dreams or imagination, I would have pictured myself ending up at a company like LinkedIn. When I was younger, it was always in my head that I was going to be an attorney. Um, that was kind of like my big thing. Even from a from a relatively young age, I knew I liked to debate. Um, I liked to build arguments and like pick other people's arguments apart. So that was kind of the track that I put myself on. It's what I went to school um, for. I was a political science major, but... I thought okay. that I would be able to leverage that to go to law school and um, and end up as an attorney. And as okay. fate would have it, that is not how it worked out. Did you have any brothers and sisters growing up? I have two younger brothers. Um, mm -hmm. I have an older sister. And so having that experience with them, even they thought that I was going to be an attorney like growing up. They were like, man, you'd love to argue. Like, Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what I was leading into next. You beat me to the punch. <laughs> I, I was going to empathize with them if, if that was your forte. It's funny because everybody, you know, has these sibling disagreements and arguments. So um, definitely them. But my mom was like the biggest one. She's like, you need to be an attorney um, because, you know, <laughs> as a parent, you, you know, your kid is talking back to you. Um, and normally you can get the best of them. But with me, I'd make a good point. And she'd be like, ooh. So all she could really say is like, you, sh you should be an attorney. Yeah. And so that kind of that kind of sent me on that path. And, yeah. you know, just the way things worked out down the, the road, I ended up here instead, which I'm grateful for. That's really interesting. And so throughout high school, did you play any sports or anything like that? Yeah. So I played um, basketball in high school, which okay. interestingly enough, that was a fun time. And like we actually went to a state championship my junior year. Um, we were runners up in the state championship in the state of New York. But yeah, I was a captain um, okay. on my high school basketball team. And so... I think that that is certainly my high school years, you know, going into my college years is when I started to realize um, just my ability to, to lead yeah. um, in certain areas. And so athletics was definitely one of those, those um, 
scenarios where I was able to showcase my abilities as a leader, um, which has helped me certainly at LinkedIn, but just in my yeah. professional career in general. Yeah. Okay. So you sounds like you graduate high school and it sounds like you actually have some intentionality behind your decision to go and study law. Because I know when I went to college, Barry, I had zero intentionality behind that decision. So kudos to you for having, you know, your yeah. good head on your shoulders there. And then, yeah. So how did that play out? Did you do four years and you got that law degree? How did that play out? So when I went, I was going to go for four years of undergrad and then um, transition to a law school of my choosing at the end of undergrad. So when I went to undergrad, I went in as a, a poli sci and philosophy uh, double major. I did that, you know, because I had it in my head that I was going to go to law school, I was going to be a lawyer. So, you know, why experiment with other things? Like just jump right into it. I was 100% certain. Yeah, we see how that worked out. But <laughs> I jumped in, I did my four years, I was really excited about the things that I was learning. And then when the undergrad path was finished, I realized one, that I wasn't crazy about like continuing a lot of like school. Like it's very heavy in terms of like reading. Also just the, the cost of school was certainly an issue um, at that point. And I also realized, although there are many avenues that you can go down when you go on that path uh, to become a lawyer, um, many of them, like I wasn't crazy about. I always thought that I would be doing something I guess to romanticize it a little bit, like your law and order criminal defense type of deal where you're working with like really interesting cases, yeah. hopefully getting paid very well. And for a lot of lawyers, that's not their experience. Um, mm. You know, like you have people who deal in, in and especially the, the more lucrative fields um, where you're making a lot of money, they're dealing more in like entertainment law or contract mm. law, um, a lot of reading a lot of like finding loopholes, not as much like courtroom dramatics. Yeah. And then for like criminal defense attorneys, you know, private ones, they can make a decent living. But for like a public defender, which is probably if you have like a, a worldview where you really want to help people would be where you would help the most yeah. pays the least. And so yeah. it makes it very difficult to support um, other things that you want to do outside of work on yeah. that type of uh, a salary. And so that's when I started to look in, in different directions. But that was the path, you know, finished school. But there was a hard line at the end of undergrad that um, caused me to pivot, which okay. was a roller coaster in and of itself. Okay. And during that time frame, I guess during your undergrad, were there any hints that you might be this technology guy that you have now moved into? <laughs> None at all, really. So interestingly enough, my university, based on like your SAT scores, you were able to kind of like test out of um, your introductory like math and mm -hmm. and um, and English classes uh, based on that. So like you may have to go through those, but you may not as well. And so I, I happen to be lucky enough to like be able to opt out of those classes. And when I left high school, I was like, even though I was like decent at it, I was like, oh, I'm never going to take another math class again. I'm never going to take another like science class again. Those were like out the window. Like I, I literally said those words coming yeah. out. And so interestingly enough, had I continued on that path and, and taken a math or, or a science class, um, it probably would have brought me closer to where I ended up in, in a STEM related field. Instead, I chose to like opt out of that. 
computer science wasn't even really on my radar. Coding wasn't really on my radar. So I did a lot of reading. I hung out with friends. And the the funny thing is I didn't have a a ton of friends that were traversing that path either. So it wasn't like I could get some secondhand exposure from them. A lot of my friends were like business majors. And so my exposure to like computer programming didn't come until in that in-between stage where I'm kind of trying to figure out what I want to do because I'm thinking law school is kind of not for me. And um, working a lot of jobs that I hate. And then I got introduced to coding, um, just kind of trying to figure out what my next steps were going to be that way. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because uh, looking back, you know, most of my friends during that time period, they were avid gamers. So that was my, uh, I guess, template, so to speak. Not a lot of, like you, I, I didn't have that blueprint and had no idea what a tech career would even look like. I always kind of thought of myself as a tech guy, but you know, not beyond like the basic fix the computer kind of a thing, not at a programmatic level, but just like basic IT troubleshooting. But it's definitely nice now with all the resources that we have where I guess you're not limited to your friend circle, but basically limited to whatever kind of search that you can do and the communities that you can find online. So you mentioned a few jobs that you maybe weren't thrilled about. Do you want to talk about any of them? Yeah, sure. Leaving school, I went to school in Pennsylvania. I'm from New York originally. So leaving school, I went back home, like most kids do, like you you either stay where your network is at after school. So most kids will either stick around or they'll head back home, seek refuge with your parents and try and figure out like what your next move is going to be. I did that. I chose the latter. Yeah. (laughs) So I went back home and uh, hung out in, in New York trying to figure out what I was going to do. Of course, like during that time period, now you're like, you're getting your first real dose of like adulthood because like college is like, it's adulthood, but it's not. College yeah. is, is a setting that you will never be able to recreate outside of the college setting. Um, yeah. it's, it's very unique in that sense. And so when I went back home, I said, okay, well, you know, I'm an adult, got to get a job. And interestingly enough, my parents weren't pushing me uh, super hard just because I guess I, I was technically young in their eyes, but I felt yeah. like I was an adult. I need to contribute. Yeah. And so CVS, uh, I guess it's CVS Health now. They gave me an opportunity to um, come into uh, management and um, just based off of my my background, my college experience and work as a manager. So I worked there for quite some time. Definitely not one of the, the best jobs that I've ever had, but it did teach me a lot. Again, yeah. that was another example of just being in a leadership role. I had you know people that I was responsible for and employees that I was responsible for and ran the day to day. But retail in general... There are people out there who are passionate about retail. I don't know many of them. I think they exist somewhere in the world. Yeah, that was definitely you. was not a passion of mine. <laughs> you deal with just a lot of like day to day stuff that um, yeah. I wouldn't wish on uh, my my worst enemy. And then there's yeah. also a lot of rewarding stuff too. But it definitely showed me. I think I was able to sharpen a lot of my skills, a lot of my leadership yeah. skills, um, a lot of my conflict resolution skills in that role. I worked there for about five years, give or take. Okay. So I was I was there for quite some time. During that time period, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that it wasn't going to be that for the rest yeah. of my life. To me, that was like a means to an end. Yeah. And so during like the, the fourth, I would say the end of the third, like toward the fourth year, I started to like try to figure out a way, how, like how am I going to transition out of this role? And so I had these skills, I had this experience and I thought, the actual requirements for work were such a burden on me. And I felt like I was just so miserable within the workspace that outside, like it it caused my life outside of work to Mm. struggle or 
to struggle with life as well. So like I would leave work and like, you're just so miserable from work that like now it's like bleeding into your personal yeah. life. You're walking around miserable. You're mad at the world and there's no answer. There's yep. no like, okay, there's a finish line in sight. Like, okay, I'm yep. going to transition to this. I just got to hold on for a few more months. So what, what I did was I just set a deadline for myself. And I was like, look, by January of next year, you need to find something else, anything else. But one of my friends that I worked with, interestingly enough, I met him through CVS. He was a manager um, at a different store. He was like, hey, I'm going to work for this security company. Like, you think you would want to come? Like, I'm, I'm working an office job, but like, you can do anything that you want. Like you could work security, you could not work security. And I was like, you know what? This could be my pivot point. Yeah. I go into this. It's not a permanent thing, but it's a way for me to get out of this thing that's making me completely miserable and into yeah. something that is a little bit better. And yeah. so I took him up on that and I transitioned out of that and I was in security for a little while. Um, at this point, I'm still in New York, but I started thinking about potentially relocating and also like other things that I would want to do. And that's when I got introduced to programming. So the security thing was great. I did it for about a year. I worked for a professional soccer team in New York, uh, mm -hmm. New York City Football Club. That was an awesome experience. It wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. But yeah. up to that point, I wasn't really a soccer fan, although I was definitely interested in a lot of sports. Soccer was not one of them. Yeah. I became one after that. I got to be around some world-class soccer players. Yeah. on the back end of their careers. So yeah. if people follow Chelsea, uh, Frank Lampard was there. Uh, nice. David Villa was there. Um, Andrea Pirlo, who is also um, an Italian legend. They all came there. And so that was um, that was really nice. Patrick Vieira was the, the head coach for a while. I believe he either played on a World Cup team or won a World Cup with France um, okay. back in his playing days. So that was an awesome experience. And it was just lighter. Yeah. And I think that that move for me, although it wasn't where I wanted to end up, it allowed me a chance to breathe and get away from like feeling miserable every day. And that yeah. actually allowed me to focus more. And so yeah. in doing so, I was able to get introduced to free code camp online mm -hmm. while I was looking at these other avenues. And that was my okay. introduction to programming. Okay. Before we jump there, I'm, I'm trying to think because I know there are people out there listening, Barry, that are in a, a similar job like that CVS management job that you had, they're probably fed up. They hate their jobs. Uh, I'm curious. I hear that you were frustrated and maybe that's all it took for you to set that deadline for yourself. What do you think gave you the the courage or the, I don't want to call it permission, but what do you, what do you think really let you do that? Because I know so many people that just complain, maybe they just don't see a path. What, what do you think that was for you? So I agree with you. Um, and that a lot of people don't see a path or they kind of feel stuck. Like I, I, I've heard that um, before from different people and I felt it too. I think that was the point in my life where I started to do a lot more leaps of faith and a lot more betting on myself. I've always been like a pretty confident individual. And I think that that was like my first major bet that I put down on myself just in my adult life was to say like, you have a skill set that you've acquired over time in this role. Yeah. It may not be the exact skill set that you need to like get to where you'd like to go, but it's definitely a skill set that other companies, other people value. So you need to figure out a way to sell yourself and double down on that skill set and allow it to serve as a stepping stone to acquire more skills the next place that you go. And yeah. so 
I think that a, a lot of it was just like internal because nobody really pushed me. Like my parents were okay with me kind of doing that. They kind of wanted to know like what I wanted to do long-term, but nobody really pushed me to go in any direction. For me, I felt like I had untapped potential and I felt like a lot of it was being wasted there. And so at a certain point, you get fed up with the role and just feeling the way that you feel on the day to day. And that was a big part of it. But I think that feeling kind of pushed me into like, you know how you can get out of this? Double down on the skill set that you have and bet on yourself. And that was just one example and kind of the starting point for me to continue doing that up until this point that that I was able to, um, you know, get a great gig at LinkedIn. No, I love that. And I got so much respect for you being willing to to go there and to believe in yourself to do that. And it sounds like there's like this underlying force behind you just pushing you. And it's interesting because I, I never really thought about it, but I, I felt the same thing when I was at my last job where I was an assistant manager for a few years. And kind of like you, you know, I could kind of, I guess, project forward and look back and not be happy with how theoretically that would have played out because I feel like I wouldn't be living up to this potential, whatever this thing is that I feel like I could become. And I know that really drove me and helped get me where I am. And I'm curious how, again, before we move on to the programming bit, how do you rein that in? Because I know for me, sometimes that thing just lets loose and it's hard to maintain other priorities. Like I know you're a, you're a new father, as am I. How do, you, how do you keep that in check? For me, it comes down to kind of having a plan. And that's the interesting piece, which kind of started around that time as well when I was leaving CVS. I've always been more of like a go with the flow type of person. In in high school, like for exams, like there was no really, like no real study plan. I was always like a, a fairly smart kid. And so if I felt confident with the material, I'd go into a test and just take the test. If I didn't feel confident with the material at that moment, I, I felt confident that I could like bring myself up to speed really quickly and yeah. <laughs> and then go in and still take the test. Yeah. That's dangerous though, Barry. That's dangerous. dangerous. I was the same way and that set me up for failure initially for college. So that, that could be a gift and well, a curse. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's where it hurts you because in college, like things get tougher. I would say that like the, whatever the workload is kind of catches up with your natural ability. And then you see a lot of the time, like the kids who did really well in high school very easily have a hard time in college. Be, and the hard workers who maybe struggle through high school do really well because um, at a certain point, like you get to college and you can't kind of just like will your way through um, certain things like you have to put in the work. And so that was the piece that I had to learn on the fly, um, not only in college, but also just in life um, was like learning to balance my natural abilities with the fact that like there needs to be some work behind it. Um, and I think that, 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 um, that lesson definitely, um, ended up not only catching up with me, but then also being the driver for a lot of my progress down the road, even to this point. But I do think that it's, it's very dangerous. And that is where I started to like come up with a plan. I kind of transitioned from like, just going with the flow to planning. When I left CVS, I had a plan that I was going to move to, well, I was gonna, I was gonna move period out of, out of New York. Um, I just felt like there were opportunities and I needed to like not be so set in stone because New York is home for me. Um, and I needed to go where the opportunities were. So I made a promise to myself that like, if an opportunity presents itself outside of home, that I would seriously consider it and not, have that as a blocker. 
And that was the first thing. And then the second thing was once I got an opportunity, I needed to be prepared to like deal with all the logistics that come with potentially a cross country move, um, maybe learning a new skill, depending on what the job is, um, transitioning out of my old role. And so I started to come up with a plan. I started to target locations. Um, one of those locations was Tampa, Florida, um, which is where I am now. And that's kind of how I made that move was once I got set on Tampa, that then spilled into me looking at what the job culture was out there, um, what was available, uh, what the housing was like out there, what apartments, what area I would like to live in. And this is a place I had never been in my life um, to that point, was Tampa, Florida. Um, And so that, that was like the start of my planning. And I've pretty much taken that and applied it to everything from that point forward. So if I was going to quit a job, I had a plan for what the next move was going to be. I had different, you know, uh, checkpoints that I wanted to hit. And once I hit those checkpoints, I knew that I was on the right path. Um, And that's kind of how you rein in that, that um, desire to kind of go crazy or just go with the flow and and not worry about anything else. Yeah. I like that, man. That's having a plan. It seems so simple and I guess it is, but I think it's also profound. And, you know, looking back, I guess I had a plan to move into tech, but I don't think it was as discreet as it probably should have been. So that's a, that's an action item (laughs) and a takeaway for me today. So thank you for that, having the plan. So, okay. And and what I've learned from, from having that plan is that like, that doesn't mean that things will go according to your plan. Sure. But just having it um, definitely sets uh, goals for you to then execute on. And yeah. you will you will find yourself straying from that, that straight line that you have from start to finish. And that's okay because that is just part of any journey that you go on. There will be yeah. detours that you will have to take. But if yeah. you don't have the plan and have a general idea of where you want to get to, it makes it that much more difficult. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. So I think you had mentioned free code camp. Walk us back there. So you, you're introduced to programming. Do you think that might be your next play? What's going through your mind at this point? How did that play out? So um, it's it's interesting. I had like this, this overnight. Um, it, it was like an overnight, kind of like a side job, but it was still security, still, same company. But I worked that in addition to working for the professional soccer team. And there wasn't much to do. They just needed somebody to be there. So I would sit on the computer and um, I stumbled across. I looked up, I think I looked up like uh, the top, you know, like up and coming jobs. And one of them was like a software developer, an engineer. So I was like, well, like, what is that? Like, what would that entail? Like, what does that take? I already decided I wasn't going to go to law school. Um, I made a decision that like, I I didn't really want to do anything if it took a a ton more school and and, Mm -hmm. um, capital to make it happen. And so that in and of itself limited my, my options there. And I, I, I look around and it's like software developer. So I'm just Googling and I'm like, like, how do you even get into that? And I saw that a lot of people were using free code camp as like a resource to learn to program. Um, so I went through, I, I, I went through, I signed up, it was free, which was big for me because, um, you know, I had, I had seen some things about like boot camps. Um, but I looked at some of the, the costs of boot camps at that time and they were, um, you know, some of them were as much as tuition. Yeah. So I decided, okay, well, let's go the free route, see how I feel about it. I'm not against investing in a boot camp, but I need to know that this is something that I want to do or else you yeah. end up, you know, like the kid who goes to school 
gets a political science degree and then doesn't use it. So, <laughs> so I decided um, to try that out. And I went through like the first couple modules. I think it was like HTML, CSS. And I think I got into JavaScript. And that was enough for me to say, okay, doing very simple things, like building like little template web pages. I was like, okay, like this is something that's interesting for me. It's challenging. It's kind of like a puzzle, which I enjoy. Um, and so I think that I would want to go further. But at that point, I still wasn't ready to commit, you know, like 25 grand to a boot camp. Yeah. So I was still looking for um, kind of free resources. And what's funny is that happened in New York. I did not find that until I had already relocated. I got a job in, in Tampa, Florida. I relocated. And that is when, um, which I like to say there are no coincidences. So that's when I actually got introduced to a boot camp that was free. Um, and that kind of kicked off like my kind of structured learning at that point. Okay. Um, but I had relocated. Um, I got a job in insurance working for Progressive, also like in a, a supervisory like type of role, um, which I thought was good. I was going to make good money. I was going someplace where the taxes were less. So I've, yeah. I had more, you know, more income to spend um, for myself. And um, while I was there, I felt like that was another pit stop. Like that was the pit stop that got me out of, out of my home base and, yeah. and got me uncomfortable yep. um, out of my comfort zone. And so once I moved there, I continued a free code camp, but I actually met over the internet. I met um, somebody who was going to be a TA for a boot camp called launch code. And it was a nonprofit. Okay. It was their first um, cohort in Tampa. They had been in, um, I want to say St. Louis, for a few years and had been successful with the nonprofit model, but this was their first cohort in Tampa. And he was like, Hey, you know, I saw you on free code camp, just so you know, they got this free boot camp. It's starting. Uh, I think applications close in like 48 hours. So if you're wow. interested, you might want to get on it. Yeah. And I only had a little bit of like programming experience, if you could call yeah. it that. Um, but I filled out an application. I had like a little, code assessment which wasn't anything much really yeah. and um i got in and it was off to the races after that that was really the starting point for like serious programming okay so it's a it's a free boot camp it's a non-profit so do they i guess they have sponsors or donors or something like that to kind of fund operations is that your understanding yeah so they they have a lot of sponsors i think they also at that point in tampa they had received um some state funding as well okay. i think the the state of florida had a um like grant money that they would give um to like nonprofits with stem initiatives especially for yeah. underrepresented groups and so um that was a portion of it but also they have donors they have um yeah. like some of their graduates also like pay it forward and will donate yeah. and they'll send something around annually to get funds that way so yeah, a lot of their money comes from either um, the government or from donors who are just interested in donating. But they, what they do is they also like go into communities and build relationships with companies and kind mm -hmm. of say like, hey, this is what we're trying to do. Would you be able to, if we can teach, you know, these programming languages to these people, would you be able to open up, you know, five jobs for people yeah. who, you know, similar to like an apprentice role where you could kind of learn on the job? but actual jobs paying you an actual salary. And so, um, so they do great work in St. Louis. Um, unfortunately, COVID kind of uh, knocked them off track in Tampa. I'm not sure of their plans to 
um, start back up. But they are other places in the U.S. I think they're in Philly um, and a couple other cities as well. So um, that was my introduction. Uh, I learned Python and C Sharp during that. It was an eight-month boot camp. The C Sharp didn't really stick, but Python did. Um, And that was kind of what I leveraged to kind of continue on um, that career path. Okay, so an eight-month boot camp, and you were still, you had your primary job at this time as well? Or had you burned those ships and you were all in on the coding at this point? So interestingly enough, I was still at my primary job. Um, at this point, it was working with Progressive um, and insurance. And um, the job itself, you know, it wasn't, wasn't difficult. You know, I was in a supervisory role. Um, it paid well, especially for the area. I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do forever. Um, and so I hit another one of these inflection points, um, at a certain point where my schedule changed at work. And so I was working longer days, less days a week. I think I was only working four days a week, which is pretty sweet, but (laughs) I I was definitely working longer hours and, um, they conflicted with my class schedule for launch code. Mm. So this is another one of those moments in, in, in my story where you just kind of have to bet on yourself, um, At the time, we were we were meeting twice a week um, for three hours from six to nine. So um, evening classes like that was kind of nice. But on those days, my work schedule was interfering with that. I tried to work with my employer. Um, they didn't really want to work with me. And so I just remember coming home from class one day. And at this time, I'm living with my girlfriend, who is now my wife. But at the time, we were just partners and living together. Yep. But at that point, once, once you're that deep into a relationship, all of your decisions impact one another. And I was like, Hey, this is really interfering with me finishing this class. And I feel like I need to finish this class in order to like take the next step. So I'm thinking about quitting my job and she didn't even like bat an eye. She was like, yeah, like do it. Like, don't think about it. Do it. I'm pretty confident that a job is a job. You'll be able to find another job. But yeah. if you think that this is important, do it. Um, yeah. There is something to be said about having people like that who will support you no matter how outlandish um, your ideas seem at the time that they uh, that they start to take over your brain. That was big. So as soon as, soon as she was like, yeah, you know, because she has a direct, you know, th- there, there are things that directly influence her situation you know bills and things of that nature um it was just a green light so i thanked progressive i had some (laughs) money saved um i said thank you guys for the opportunity and i had like a couple months before the boot camp was over and so i left my job i said this is how much and this is one of those planning um you know experiences where i said this is how much i have in the bank these are my monthly bills this is you know what we like to do for leisure so we can still have some of that going on. And I left. Um, And so then I was just like all in on kind of coding and programming. Yeah. I love that. And I want to, I want to pause on that Barry because I, I'm definitely not encouraging the listeners to quit your job and embrace something that may or may not work, but there's power to be had if you're in a situation where you can do that. Because I know in my own situation where I was in this predetermined management path. Thankfully, my wife and I were on the same page with, you know, saving as much as we could, putting it aside for, you know, whatever we wanted to. And I came to a similar situation as you, where I didn't like traveling. I was traveling like 
16, 20 hour commutes driving all over the country every week for work. And it just was not sustainable. And thankfully, because my wife and I were on the same page and she had a similar reaction as your maybe then girlfriend had, where she was like, yeah, do what you need to do. Cause it, it's, it's so much power a being able to do that and b like you said having somebody in your corner to back that move and i know for me it was definitely the fire that lit me and caused me to blaze through the boot camp and long story short eventually end up at linkedin just like you and i, I think it's just so amazing that yeah i am hearing so much of my story and your story and i, I just I, I think that's so so cool and i wanted to, to point that out where if you have the option to do that I can't think of a, a better thing to, to spend your hard-earned money on is being able to, to buy time if you need that time to make a pivot like that as opposed to just buying things. 100%. And I think that, to your point, um, there are some people, I think you kind of, part of that comes from knowing yourself. I think a lot of the bets that I like made on myself, I, I'm relatively self-aware and I, I know what I respond well to. And so it's not for everybody. So I, I don't want to give the impression that it's for everybody. Some people, there will be different paths to kind of get to that same endpoint. But I do think that there's something to be said for some people of certain personality types um, when you don't have a safety net underneath you as you're pursuing that next goal. You know, so sometimes when you when you have that safety net, if you know your personality, sometimes that makes you not go as hard, you know, for that next goal because you're comfortable. So, yep. so like that comfort has not been removed from underneath you and that's always going to catch you when you fall. So yep. when you're not studying, when you're choosing to put off that assignment because you want to play video games or you want to have date night or, you know, whatever the case may be, that safety net says, Hey, you're still getting a check from your job. Um, you're still able to afford all the things that you need to afford in this moment. You know, maybe you can put off that thing and maybe it's not as important. Whereas for some people, when you remove that safety net, now it's like, I have to succeed at this because I don't have anything to catch me if I fall yeah. or if I yeah. fail. Yeah. And um, that, that worked, that paid dividends for me. Now, again, back to the plan, I would always advise just because it worked for me that if you're going to do something like that, it's good to have a, a, a plan. And so for me, I, obviously plan A was finish the boot camp, right? I got a couple yeah. months left. I got to finish it. But I also have this anxiety around watching money leave my bank account with nothing with coming in, yep. even though I had like a, a healthy amount in savings. And so what I did was quitting my job uh, gave me the flexibility to finish this course. But I also looked for like a part-time job just to say like, I want to see something coming back in. Like, I know I have enough money to get me to this next checkpoint that I want to get to, but it'll just calm my anxiety if I have this. But it allowed me to look for things that fit with what I was already doing, as opposed to getting into this boot camp when I already have this thing and they don't really fit together. Sure. And so, um, so I decided I took like a part-time job at the airport where I could work overnight. Um, and so really it was on the back end. So I would go to class and then I'd get out, I'd go take a little nap at home. I'd work overnight. And then I had my days kind of to, um, you know, work on assignments and things of that okay. nature. So it's one of those things where it's like, you still give yourself, you know, an option. If, if anything yeah. happens, something goes left, you still have some money coming in to where you're not bankrupting yourself, but you remove yourself from that situation. That's kind of that you could use as a potential excuse for yeah. not, 
completing things. Um, yeah. So in, in the interest of full disclosure, um, I did that. And interestingly enough, that was another situation that just kind of paid off for me because during that time period, I was able to find a job with another company that wasn't quite what I wanted to do, but it kind of vaulted me into all of my tech adjacent roles. Okay. Through this job at the airport? Yeah. So the, the job at the airport was just like an overnight gig to kind of get myself some money. And basically to give context there, we were loading cargo planes for like UPS, um, like those type of things. So it was like way out of like anything that I had ever done before. Um, but it was cool. It was just like, See how things work. Yeah, you got a chance to kind of see how things work, how your stuff gets transported from point A to point B, but it fit in my schedule. And then not having the full-time job allowed me to then look and say, okay, like what's out there that kind of fits in the space that I'm looking to go into? Yeah. So during my days when I had time to work on assignments, I was actually looking at other jobs and saying like, when I finish this boot camp, like what's out there? And um, Cognizant, which they do a lot of um, healthcare, but they also do a lot of like special tech projects. They were hiring and they actually had roles that were overnight roles and they were full-time. So I said, hmm, they, they were dabbling in social media content moderation. Okay. So I said, okay, I kind of like that. Like maybe I should just apply now. It's overnight for now. So I think if I, if I get it, I wouldn't have any problem kind of like taking it and still finishing you know, my, yeah. my obligations to the boot camp, And I don't think I would have found that when I was in my comfort zone at progressive making good money and working yeah. day shift and stuff like that. So um, it, it was a long journey, but I, I ended up finding that and I got an interview there and that was, that was history. Like I, I ended up working there for about a month before I finished the boot camp. As I finished the boot camp, a few months later, they ended up opening another role internally and that was where I got into reporting, but I was able to leverage my bootcamp skills from, from, uh, from launch code at that time. Okay. Um, they were, they were asking like, Hey, you know, any programming languages? I said, yeah, I've done some Python. Uh, you know, like I did a lot of work with, you know, like Excel spreadsheets and manipulating them with Python and automating processes. And they loved that. And I was already yeah. working for the company internally. They knew my work ethic. So yeah. they said, Hey, how'd you like to transition into this role? Yeah. And that was all she wrote. That was my work experience. Um, nice. In so order to kind of get a foot in the door. Yeah. So you, so you switch over to Cognizant, still doing the boot camp. You graduate the boot camp. Sounds like you're able to, to switch over to a different role with Cognizant. Was that a, did it ever become like a pure programming or was it kind of like an ad hoc, you know, these things so you can optimize different things with them maybe? Yeah, it was mostly ad hoc. So, um, so there's so many like different um, checkpoints in, in the journey. It was mostly ad hoc. And like every day it was like my manager would figure out that I had like another like untapped skill. And yeah. um, that that was actually a good thing for me, my growth and development, because as he like realized like, oh, you've worked with like databases, like we've got all this stuff in like access databases. Like I was like, oh, that's pretty terrible, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, we'd go through like ways that we could optimize things, but like he kind of looked and saw my skill set, And so then he would go back and kind of look at the business and where we needed to improve. And he was kind of essential and kind of like just figuring out how he could use my skill set to help the business. Yeah. And um, 
And at the same time, it helped me develop and see like all the things or, or all the, the, the applications of the skills that I had acquired outside of just like building a web page or yeah. making a tic-tac-toe game, you know, like building yeah. these personal projects that didn't really solve real world problems. Yeah. Now I've got a manager who's saying like, no, we've got a real problem here. I think yeah. your skill set fits this. How can we, how can we leverage that? Um, and so that was really helpful. My time at Cognizant was really helpful because it showed me kind of some more practical uses for my skill set. Um, unfortunately, uh, and this is kind of, I think we spoke about life kind of diverting that straight line path that you thought you had. Unfortunately, Cognizant, like that line of business was just a line of business that they kind of dabbled in for a couple years. And then um, they felt they felt that that was not really a line of business that they wanted to stay in. And so after, after, I want to say like three years on that project, they kind of, they discontinued it. They tried to find people like different jobs internally, if they felt like your skill set fit, but they had a ton of layoffs. And it's funny because just watching um, what's happening in the tech space right now um, in terms of layoffs and stuff like that. um, That was my, I had never been, laid off. I've never, I've never been fired or laid off from a job to that point in my life. So it was a new experience for me. Um, but Cognizant, I think globally, they laid off about 15,000 workers at one time. Um, because while we were doing work in US, and we had a sister site in Arizona, um, they also had people doing the same type of work or work um, related to it in okay. India and other places in the world. So they laid off 15,000 people, we were included in those layoffs. Um, they, they did great things. Like I have great things to say about Cognizant. Like they did things that I would, I've never seen at another job. They held job fairs. They let other companies come into the building to like try and help place people. Yeah. Um, so that was like something crazy. They let us know in advance. Um, they gave us great severance. So, um, part of these journeys are also like getting lucky where you kind of fall, um, into the lap of a company that really cares about their employees. And that was my experience with Cognizant. Um, But they did, they laid everybody off. And that was another point in my life where I'm like, okay, so got to figure out the next plan. And I have this window because they let me know in advance. So I wasn't even paying attention to like their job fairs and stuff like that. I was like, okay, I have this experience now. I took my boot camp experience and I've applied it here. So now I can point to different metrics that I brought up. And so I started crafting my resume and I started um, getting back out there, seeing what was seeing what was out there. I had a window and a lot of people were saying like, hey, well, we've got like three months of severance. So I think I'm going to take a little break. And uh, I was like, no, I think I'm going to look for a job that I can go straight into. And I'd like to take that severance and put it away for a rainy day yeah. in case yeah. I have another crazy plan yep. um, to quit a job or something like yep. that. From what I've heard, Barry, um, I feel like you were almost excited at the, at the layoff as much as you could be because you saw it as like the next challenge for you to surmount. So that's a common theme in my life. I think that like there are certain things that you can't really, you can't really do anything about, right? Like you yeah. have to kind of deal within the framework and the parameters that you can control And so like you give your all to a company, um, you work really hard, you show up to work every day, you do everything that's asked of you and then some, and then the company just decides like, Hey, 
you know, we don't see this as profitable for us. And like, this is a line of business we want to get out of. You can't really control like what the CEO, um, the direction the CEO wants to take the company in. Right. But at that point, I felt like it was an opportunity for me to like increase my personal wealth, because if I don't have to spend that severance, you know, on needs while I look for a job, then now I have that pocketed. Um, while also putting to the test, like all of the skills that I had been able to apply and seeing like what that could net me if I'm able to sell it really well to the next company. And so like, I think that the people who do really well just in life period, look at anything that most people would view as like a setback or, or like a hurdle and see it as an opportunity. And so for me, like that was my mindset is like, we're getting laid off. There's nothing you can do about it. So like, where is the opportunity in this layoff? And for me, it was making sure that that next job, like, you know, was offering me a salary and some benefits that like really fit where I was at in life while also like using the things that Cognizant was providing to us on the back end of it and saying like, Hey, I can put this away for a rainy day. I can take the, the skills training the resume workshops and like use that to craft, you know, my situation, um, you know, to get me to that next stepping stone. And so that's when I linked in with my previous role that that you alluded to in the beginning um, of the podcast, uh, for a small real estate company, uh, privately owned, and I was a production reporting specialist there. And the only difference was that like, I was the guy. So there was nobody else like I didn't have a team. It was like just me. And um, I was just optimizing all of the reporting, all of the dashboards. I got experience with Tableau um, that I didn't have prior to that. So that was like something else. I also, because it was such a small company, I got to work directly with the CTO there. He had built a lot of their platforms in Python. Um, So that was awesome because I was able to kind of leverage his education, his experience. He'd been a developer for probably 20 years. Okay. and kind of just look at the way that he did things on a day to day and and have him kind of critique the way that I optimize things. Yeah. And that was helpful um, to me in being able to then reach out to LinkedIn yeah. two years later yeah. for the role that I'm in now. So, yeah. So yeah. before we, before we jump there though, so before that job, what was the interview process? Like we love talking about interviews. I don't know if you had any, any actionable <laughs> advice for things that were oh, because it was beautiful, Barry, because you did the boot camp. You had a few years of experience at Cognizant where you've proven that you've improved systems using what you learned at this boot camp. So now it sounds like you've got an opportunity to interview and I guess try to explain all of that in a way that lends itself to you getting this next technical role. So I feel like some sure. of that might be relatable if there's anything there. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the the specific interview for this job it's it's a funny process and I'll I'll give you some insight to it um, simply because uh, luck sometimes plays a huge role um, but again I'm a firm believer in no coincidences so um, I'll give you some of that and then I'll also give you just some things that I think um, helped me along the sure. way so um, when I worked at uh, at uh, Cognizant. My my manager there, um, we would talk all the time. It, it was just we had a, a very good relationship. Um, it sounds like an amazing sure manager. Like, I, I meant to comment yeah, on that he, because he wasn't threatened by your abilities. He was leveraging your abilities, which I feel really no. And he 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 wanted to push me to kind of like get to the next level, 
whatever it was, like he fought, like there were sometimes like salary debates, like he fought for me in every one of those debates to like make sure that the company was like paying me what they should be paying me. So he was awesome. But it was so funny. I, I, I walk into this interview. Now, at this point, we all know that we're getting laid off. So that was the other good thing Cognizant did. They're like, hey, if you got an interview or something like that, go to your interview, you know, let us know and you come in late or whatever. Um, so given that we had a close relationship and that was kind of Cognizant's policy on our way out, um, he was just like, basically like, good luck at your interview. You're going to interview with this company. Sounds good. The salary sounds nice. I hope it goes well. So it's funny, I go into my interview, I had provided my resume in advance. And um, I'm immediately sitting down with like, the, I guess the, um, the VP of the company. And um, I want to say the person who worked directly underneath him. So one step away from the VP. And they were like, listen, like, this is how things work here. Like, you would kind of be doing your own thing. Um, you would be responsible for like all of our reporting. So, uh, the company's based in New York city, but we had a Tampa office as well. And so, and, and also a, um, a Colorado and a Texas office, but very small, like less than a hundred employees total. And so they were like, you'd be responsible for like everybody's stuff. So you'd have to collaborate with people in Texas and Colorado. Um, but you'd work out of Tampa and, um, I'm like, okay, like no problem. That's cool. I kind of gave them some background on like my experience outside of their systems with like Tableau and a lot of Excel stuff. I said, well, I also know Python and I could help automate some of your processes. And then um, the VP looks at my resume and he sees uh, my boss's name. And just for the purpose that I didn't, I didn't reach out to him before the podcast. So um, we'll call him John. <laughs> he says, Hey, how do you know John? And I'm like, wait a second, what? And it's it's so funny because like people think that like, you know, you're just kind of throwing the references in there. If you get a call, hopefully it's somebody who will speak well on your behalf. They never actually called him. But apparently when my boss was like first out of college, she's like a young 22-year-old kid, uh, just like messing around, just took any job. He worked for the current VP at the company that I was going to when he was a young kid. And so I say all that to say relationships matter. And he was like, how do you know John? And I was like, oh, he's my boss over at Cognizant now. He's like, really? When I knew him, he was just like a 22-year-old, like, goofball. <laughs> like, it's so good to see that he's doing well or whatever. <laughs> and he's like, you know, if, if, he, if he'll vouch for you, you know, to the point that you'll, you'll, you'll put him down as a reference or whatever, like, I don't see any problem in hiring you. Like the, the kid was great when, when I had him, I hope he's doing well, send him my love, send him like the, the end of the interview turns into like him just saying like, send him my yeah. regards, tell him this, yeah. tell him that, ask him if he remembers me. And so, um, so that was big. Um, relationships do matter. And I feel like, you know, my skills kind of were what they were on the resume. And I feel like they were happy with that, but I feel like having that relationship kind of was like nail in yeah. the coffin, cemented yeah. everything. Um, and so like, to like a person listening to your podcast in terms of like how they would leverage that, I think that like, you speak about it a lot, um, via LinkedIn, but like definitely like build, build your network, build your relationships. LinkedIn, like in the past few years has gotten bigger and bigger for things of that nature. I can remember a time like back when I was working with CVS where it wasn't as big and where, um, you know, 
you couldn't build as many relationships or build your network, but it's gotten so big to the point where like now you don't even have to like your network. It used to be, you'd go to school and your network was directly, you know, the people that you interacted with while you were at school. And now like LinkedIn, I think has provided kind of that platform where like you could go to school in Pennsylvania and you could have a network in Florida. You could have a network in California and Texas Um, just from reaching out to people. I've had people reach out to me about, you know, they see LinkedIn on my profile. They want to know about the apprenticeship program. They want to know how they can be involved, how they can apply when the next, you know, when the next hiring cycle will be. And you might throw a million of those darts and it only takes one to hit. Um, And so I think that the more that you reach out during my process, when I was getting laid off, I was doing all of that stuff. So I was on LinkedIn. I was looking at jobs there. I was reaching out to recruiters. Um, I was looking, I, I was um, searching like job titles um, and seeing like if certain companies had open openings for software engineers. And then I would go and find somebody at the company and just send a LinkedIn message like, hey, was interested in trying to get my foot in the door. This is kind of my background. Um, you know, what are your insights? What are your feelings about the company? Do you feel like it would be a good fit? Yeah. I would say 95% of those I got zero response to, yeah. but the 5% that I did get a response, it, it netted me a lot of my interviews and yeah. ultimately it landed me the job because prior to having that relationship where they looked at my resume and said, Hey, I know your, your current manager. Um, the whole process of getting to the point where I could even send the resume happened via LinkedIn and happened um, with their recruiter for, from their company and just me kind of reaching out, shot in the dark. I said, hey, like, I see this role. The role had been vacant for like eight months. And I said, I see this role that you guys have and you guys, um, it looks like it's a role that would be pretty important, but it looks like the role hasn't been filled for a while. I could see how long it had been posted. And I said, like, I think that my skill set matches you know, shoot me a message on LinkedIn if you guys are hiring or, you know, maybe this was posted as a mistake and it should have been taken down. But if you guys are hiring, I would love to hear from you. Would love yeah. to, you know, see if my skill set matches what you guys need. Yeah. And that was it. That got my right. foot in the door. And then, you know, as fate would have it, my my new manager knows my old manager and he worked for him and he looks at my skill set that I've acquired through this boot camp. And that was all she wrote. And I worked there for a little over two years. Um, and it was a great company. I loved my work there. I got to do some some projects with the government as well. Like we did some work with um, the Department of um, Housing and Urban Development um, with the U.S. government. So that was a um, great experience to have. And ultimately, it led me to uh, LinkedIn's doorstep. So yeah, I, I left. Yeah, I it, was, it was a great experience, great company. But I left because, you know, we're working for LinkedIn. <laughs> so yeah, let's, let's, it was let's, a better let's... opportunity. No, I, I'm, I'm selfishly very glad where you ended up. And I think you're probably pretty happy <laughs> as well, Barry. So let, let's talk about that. So the last, you spent two years in that role. If you just want to maybe summarize that kind of quickly, were you jumping more into the programming aspect or was it just like reporting? I'm sure you were trying to integrate everything that you could along the way. Yeah, I, I, I was working super hard to like just find ways to integrate um, certain processes. So I used Python a good amount in that role. Just... Um, trying to, well, for two reasons. One was very selfish in that I realized very quickly that like me being the guy meant that like, if you go on vacation, like you're coming back to that same work, like there's nobody to kind of pick up where you left off. And so I needed a way to like 
continue to be able to add value to the company, but also to take some of the workload off of my plate to open up time for me to like continue to be able to assess their processes and like find ways to improve um, the logistics of the way things were run at the company. And so the best way for me to do that was to automate processes that I felt took a very long time and required a lot of manual work. So I was leveraging Python to do a lot of that stuff, just kind of like run reports. Um, I was writing scripts to kind of run my reports and the legwork on the front end was a lot to kind of write, you know, program everything. But once it was working, it freed up a lot of my time and that allowed me to work on special projects and and things of that nature. Um, Also, then I had to learn Tableau and kind of leveraging that reporting tool. And because that was one that I wasn't familiar with. Um, And then of course, um, everywhere that you go, it seems like people are still using access databases and, um, (laughs) which can be a good thing. And it could be a bad thing depending on who created the access database and how, how knowledgeable they were when they did it. Um, so those things were a mess. And so I was figuring out like ways to kind of fix things, um, Mm. where I saw issues. And, um, those were all skills that helped me with LinkedIn just because I had a lot of time to go through, look at somebody else's work, find the the flaws in it, and then correct it. The issue was like, where at LinkedIn, I might be able to reach out to a software engineer and say, hey, like, I saw you guys worked on this two years ago. Like, what does it do? Like, give me some context. I had nobody. So it was kind of like me just kind of digging in the trenches, digging through, um, you know, different, different SQL code and stuff like that, trying to figure out why queries were broken. Um, But yeah, that, that was awesome. I also like optimize some, um, some bid stuff for their work with the government. Um, The government could like, not just the government, nonprofits as well would like bid on um, pretty much like bank owned properties um, and do stuff with it. Like Habitat for Humanity might come and try to, you know, pick up some properties and they're going to fix up and do something with it. The government would do the same. And and, uh, oftentimes it was in like disadvantaged communities, which I thought was nice. Um, and so that was also like very, not only like a, a chance for me to kind of flex my skill set and learn some new things, but it was also like a very rewarding um, part of the job as well. Yeah. Um, so that was cool. And that was two years there. And and then I also had like a, a pretty experienced Python programmer. So like I would get him to look at my scripts and like see where I can make it faster, things like that, try to like optimize my code. And anytime that he was making a change, I just kind of asked to shadow him. Um, I did a lot of work with like um, ETL processes. So like getting data, loading it into our system, cleaning the data before it went into our system. And so anytime that he was making a change on the back end of that, I wanted to get some insight into how things were working under the hood and why he was making the changes that he was making. And so working that closely with the CTO allowed me that to kind of continue in my journey of learning while also... Um, you know, doing something that was related to the job itself. Yeah, no, I love that. And so then you're doing that. Let's talk about how you ended up at LinkedIn. Was that the next step in the journey? So the next step I had worked, I'd worked for Cognizant in once I got promoted into the the reporting role, um, I felt like that was very tech adjacent. Um, and then my next role um Obviously, as a reporting specialist, I felt like that was also tech adjacent. So I felt like my toes were in the water, but I hadn't like I hadn't dove fully in. 
Um, so I said, okay, like you're at a good job, you get paid well, um, you like the environment. Uh, I think the the next step that you make shouldn't be another adjacent role. I think like now is the time to go for it because you don't need it. It's not like you're laid off. It's not like you're looking for a job. You're comfortable. And so now is the time where you can like really take your time and like kind of zero in on roles that puts you exactly where you want to be instead of like kind of moving horizontally. Um, So I decided like, instead of looking at like any more reporting roles or anything like that as like fallback plans, I was just going to look at software engineering roles. And I thought that like, if I couldn't land um, a software engineering role, then an apprenticeship would be like the next best thing. And in some ways I felt like it, it might be the best thing that that might be the best like type of like bridge into the role that I wanted to be in. And so like a few different companies have these programs, right? Um, I think Asana does one. Uh, Microsoft has their Elite program. Um, LinkedIn has Reach. Um, And there are like a few programs. Um, So I started looking at at those and like seeing when the application periods were. Microsoft seemed to have them like going on like a regular cadence. Um, And um, I actually filled out an application for Microsoft Leap and it just never got responded to. But they get so many, they kind of let you know up front, like, hey, we won't be able to respond to them all, but we will be able yeah. to tell you when we select, select the candidate. So I had applied to a couple of them, but Reach, I felt um, I felt the model fit what I was looking for the best. Um, and just not to pick on our parent company, Microsoft, because I, I love them dearly. But one of the, the big differences that I saw between Leap and Reach was that... Um, was just the 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 attention to like having you as an an employee from day one, hmm. um, whereas Leap you're kind of like a contractor and you hmm. still have to go through the regular Microsoft interview loop okay. at the conclusion of your six month um, apprenticeship period. Uh, Reach was different, right? Like you come in day one, you're an employee, you have benefits. Um, I felt like that would incentivize the company to really like pour resources into you, right? Like you have a vested interest, whereas Microsoft could have you work for six months, you go through the interview loop and they're like, uh, you know, thanks, but no thanks. And, you know, they, they don't really lose out on anything as a result of it reach. It's like you have an employee that you got to bring up to speed um, because you want them to kind of help the company as quickly as possible. Um, and at the same time on my end, I'm also learning as much as possible during that process. And I love the fact that like, it wasn't like a set commitment, right? Like it wasn't like, Hey, this is six months, like sink or swim after six months. It was like, Hey, we're going to look at your background. We're going to look at, you know, how long you've done certain things, your job experience. And we're going to kind of give you a benchmark, um, to try to hit, but like that's flexible as well. And, yeah. and really what we want to see is like constant progression and learning. And we're going to try to get you up to speed as quickly as possible, but we're not going to push you faster than you need to go. And we're also going to let you go at a pace that, that um, a third party has determined is, is fair to you based on your experience. And I love that because how often do you have a cohort of, you know, 20, 30 people who are coming in, with varying degrees of, you know, technical acumen um, that need different, um, different attention. It's, it's like, it's like, literally, it's like being in a class where like, you know, you may have a kid who needs one-on-one attention, but in a classroom of 30, 
he's never going to get that one-on-one attention. Whereas another kid doesn't need it. Like he can thrive in a yeah. classroom of 30. He's more independent. And they basically said, we're going to look at your skill set and um, we're going to give you the attention that you need, but nobody is going to, um, is, is going to suffer um, as a result of us, like locking you all into this one box when you all have varying yeah. backgrounds and experience yeah. levels. So that was awesome. But yeah, what brought me to, to reach was basically just like my search for tech jobs, um, which during the course of it, I filled something out for like Dropbox, I think it was. And um, it's funny, I, I told one of our other apprentices this story. Um, that was the first interview that I sat in. It wasn't even an interview, it was a coding assessment, but it was kind of online, like a hacker rank type of assessment. It was a, one of the first uh, interviews that I sat in and completely drew like a, a, a blank, like froze up. Mm. Um, that was an interesting, an interesting experience that had me yep. questioning whether Everything. or not I should continue <laughs> on this path. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, I was like, I, I was so confident going into it, but as soon as I sat in front of the computer to do it, I had an hour to yep. answer like four questions and I answered zero. Like I was literally just yeah. sitting there staring at the screen. Yep. I was so disappointed in myself toward the end. I started like just putting anything like variable so that I had some work down, but I was like, you literally just like choked. And for some reason, when you're looking for jobs, like whatever the next job is that you apply for, you're in your mind, you're like, this is going to be the one, like, yeah. this is the one. So like I put a lot of pressure on myself, like doing really well. Cause I was, cause that's the other thing is like, sometimes you're just sending emails and emails into the abyss yeah. and you're trying to get a response. So anytime you get a response, um, there's a heightened level of, uh, of pressure that you put on yourself yeah. because it's like, I don't know when I'm going to get the next response. I don't have a computer science degree. Yeah. I don't have a, a, a background with all these software engineering jobs. Um, so I got to do well on this one. And I think that that kind of psyched my, it, it messed with my psyche. I psyched myself out. And that's another thing that I would tell people coming in is that you got to like take the pressure off of yourself somehow. Yeah. I had never done that in my life. I had always performed well in interviews. It happens yeah. to the best of us. Yeah. But if, if it does happen to you and you do ha happen to put some pressure on yourself and it doesn't work out, just kind of think back to other times where that's happened. Um, yeah. Maybe not in that, that, that manner, but there are certainly times that you failed in the past. We all do. And think about how you were able to recover yeah. um, from that failure. Yeah. And, and, and also look at where you're at after that failure. Like you yeah. obviously recovered. You're obviously, you know, a step further than you were when yeah. that happened. Um, I had to lean heavily on those examples to like, keep going. Like I didn't even look at the, um, they send like an email about your assessment, obviously to tell you if you're going to move on. And I just it, like, I knew, so I didn't even look at it. Like it's like sat written for, that one off in your mind. It, it sat for months. As soon as I saw something from Dropbox, I was like, oh yeah, no, that, that was an embarrassing, that uh, display of, of yeah. technical acumen there. I'm not going to open that up. <laughs> and so I just let it sit for like months. And um, later on, like a few months later, I don't even think I have the LinkedIn position yet, but I felt like more comfortable. I went back and opened it up. And of course they said, oh, sorry, we're not going to move forward with you. But I was like, it wasn't, okay. it wasn't fatal. I think yeah. that's the, the reminder is that like failure is not fatal. And in a lot of cases, it's actually necessary because it gives you something to iterate on and yeah. kind of take that and carry it into your next experience. Um, I had to remember that. And I think a lot of your listeners probably, if they're going through a process where they're trying to break in, 
yeah. it's something that will be a reoccurring theme in your in your journey. Yeah, no, for sure. And and I always say failure is feedback. And yeah, you know, yeah. I heard it back when when you got laid off with Cognizant Barry. It's not what happens to you, but it's how you react to what happens to you. And I think you've always had that that bounce back ability. And I I feel like that's definitely lended itself to your your trajectory of where you are today. So you'd apply to reach without giving away too much of the reach secret sauce. How did that interview process go for you? It was pretty good. I had a fantastic recruiter. I'm sure some of our coworkers know uh, Emily. She was awesome throughout the process. Um, she really encouraged me um, a ton to just like keep going. She was like, I, I, she's unlike any recruiter that I've ever worked with for anything before. Um, she was very like just positive in like reaffirming like the process is going to take a long time. I'm going to be in contact with you every week, kind of letting, giving you updates. But she also like yeah. reminded me like once, once I had like gotten into the interview process, um, I know like this we can kind of let go is that reach, uh, their application process is kind of essay based. So, yeah. um, that'll, that'll kind of like get you into the interview flow, but once I got into the interview flow and at times where I was doubting myself, either because things were taking a long time or I just felt like maybe I may or may not have given my best performance. Um, she kind of kept me going and was just like, I need you to remember that like you belong here. Like there's a reason that you were able to get, even get beyond the essay portion of this. And like, um, you definitely belong here. Like we wouldn't even be like wasting time do going through the interview process if we didn't feel like there yeah. was something there was some there there right yeah. so um i i don't th i don't normally get that from recruiters and i felt like that in and of itself like if i wasn't already sold on linkedin just because i wanted a software engineering role that was where i started being sold on on linkedin because my interaction with her was such a positive one and she treated me like a coworker. She didn't treat me like somebody she was trying to recruit. She treated me as if I was working with her already. Um, and like she had a vested interest in, in me succeeding. Um, I also got a chance to, through her, um, kind of like have an apprentice, like mentor me and kind of like reach out to me and give me some background on the actual process as well as like, um, you know, just the, the culture at LinkedIn. And I think that that was a great experience. And that was something that she just proactively um, yeah. offered because she saw value in it. And it kind of set me up already kind of like then getting introduced to the culture and meeting another person and realizing like, oh, it's not just her. Like, yeah. this is kind of like the environment that I would be going into. Should I get the position? And um, so that that was really awesome. But it took, man, my process probably took a couple months, like altogether, yep. from like essay to finding out um, that that I got it, and that was um, it was definitely very rewarding on the back end. But yeah. um, it took a lot, it took a lot of, of work for sure. Yeah, and tell us, tell us about that moment where you got that phone call to let you know that you had gotten it. Whew. Oh man! So I was actually sitting in my office at work. Um, and I got a phone call and at this point, Emily and I had, had, um, had spoken with one another, um, several times. So like I had, I had her number saved in my phone 
and it came up on the screen and I was like, oh boy, I immediately got nervous. So I yeah. closed my office door, I pick up the phone <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and she starts, she starts, um, she starts talking. And this is the one thing that, that drove me nuts was she kind of like, she doesn't give you the final like assessment right away. She kind of like mm. said like, Hey, so like, these are the positive things that like people were saying about your interview. That's not what you want to um, hear. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I immediately start thinking like, okay, so she's giving me the rundown because they've rejected me. And you know, like she's kind of just giving me feedback, which I appreciate. It's not what I want to hear, but yeah. in my mind, it was going through my head. Like, man, this is feedback that kind of sounds like this is what you need to improve upon in order like to be considered um, in the future. And so she starts talking about the positives and kind of like, um, pretty much just what they saw in me. Um, LinkedIn has like definitely, and I, I, I would say this about most apprentices, like I think they have an appreciation for having a growth mindset, um, kind of being proactive in, in figuring things out, um, whatever that may be. But then also like leadership, which I was big on my resume, um, just being a leader because I think they, they, they feel that that's a valuable skill that maybe you can come in and provide value with that skill set, even before your, your technical ability has the chance to kind of catch up. Um, so it's a way to like instantaneously provide value. And, um, and while all those things were positive, I was sitting there just knowing that it was going to be a rejection because I was going to, I was waiting for the, however, really, yeah. it's like, we love this. We love this. However, yeah. um, and then it just never came. So I was, I was just sitting at my desk. I still had all my work, like laptop open. And she was like, yeah. So, you know, and because of these, you know, traits, like we want to offer you this mm -hmm. role. And then there's kind of like a blank in my mind. Yeah. And she was like, these are the things that like, um, they said like, you'll need to continue to develop. Um, so I got some feedback from like, technical assessments and things of that nature. And that was awesome too, because, yeah. um, you know, it, it just, I knew I already had the role. And so like, now you're kind of giving me a crash course into like a starting point for yeah. like what I'm going to build on once yeah. I'm in it. Um, but she said she was going to send the, the, the paperwork over and all that stuff. And, um, I needed a minute and yeah. I, I needed a minute. I, I, when I got off the phone with Emily, I, I first of all, I don't know if she remembers this, but I, I probably thanked her. I don't know how many times I thanked her, but she probably was tired of hearing the phrase thank you um, <laughs> after we got off of that phone call. Um, but I was just, I was so grateful to her because there were several points where I felt unsure and she just reaffirmed like my belief in self and in the process. Mm -hmm. And then um, I really just needed a minute because it was like, it was going to be like a, a very big, change for me my situation um at this point i was uh married like newlyweds like a couple months of, of just being married so it was definitely going to change um my family's situation um yeah. really we, we hadn't started a family yet but like we we had started a family with each other um we yeah. were married and so it was a shift it, it was it, and it was something that like for some people, they make a decision and like, okay, I'm going to go to an eight-month boot camp. At the end of this, I'm going to get a job. And like, that's the journey. Um, yeah. 
for me, it was a little like all over the place. Um, yeah. I had different jobs. I had very little direction. All I really had was like, just like, you had the plan. once I, once I decided, yeah, once I decided I, I had plans, <laughs> even though many things are not according to plan. And, yeah. um, I had, I had confidence throughout most of it. Yeah. Um, Let's that allowed about... me to make bets on myself. Yeah. To, to the extent you're comfortable, Barry. So were you supposed to work out of the, was it the New York office? Because I know when I got the offer, the expectation was for me and my family to relocate 1300 miles to Omaha. And that was the Oof. only reason that I, I still obviously said, yes, that was, there was a little bit of trepidation because of that. And I think I know you eventually ended up staying remote, but we didn't always know that at the time. So was the expectation for you to go to New York? Yeah, no. So the expectation, and this is, this is funny, funny enough. So I had spoken with my wife about this when I applied because I knew during the application process that they wanted us to end up in one of um, their locations. And so I was trying to figure out, I said, listen, like, this is like putting the cart way out in front of the horse, but I'm applying for this role. If I get it, like, would you be okay with relocating? Like, cause that, that was a conversation that had to happen first. Cause I wasn't yep. even going to throw my hat in the ring um, without her being okay with it. And she said, yeah. And so I was like, well, like which one of these cities do you think like would be best for us? Um, and so we settled on Sunnyvale, even though I'm originally from New York, um, we settled on Sunnyvale. A lot of my family lives in the state of Florida. So I do have some family in New York, but like my immediates, my parents, um, they're in Kissimmee, so um, not very far. Um, and then my wife's family is all in Tampa. And okay. so, like, a, a good portion of our family is all in Florida. Yeah. So I thought it was interesting that she chose uh, California, which yeah. is probably about as far away from Florida right. <laughs> as, as right. you can get. Um, and then um, during the course of all this going on, we find out that we're having a kid. And so that throws another wrinkle into the equation, right? Because yeah. now you're, you're having this kid, the expectation is that you're going to be re relocate. It's our first child together. Um, so like we have no experience, like I have nephews, but I, I had no experience like raising a child of my own. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's the, it's the perfect scenario to have your family members close yeah. Um, so that you have help, you have people who can watch your kid, your kid gets to actually experience and meet, you know, their grandparents, their, their aunts and uncles. And, um, and finding that out and knowing the due date and stuff like that, we were like, wow, we're going to be around family for like a month and then we're going to relocate. Yep. And the next time we see family is going to be, it'll be a while. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, that was another wrinkle that got thrown in there. And at that time, like we were both kind of um, bummed about that aspect of it. And we just like would talk each other um, into it kind of yeah. at, at yeah. different periods. Like when one of us was feeling um, a little uncertain about it because it was yeah. going to be such a drastic life change. Um, and then uh, the, the possibility of working remote, um, you know, once we signed on, and we've spoken about this before. I think it was huge. Um, and I know, like, for, for some people, the relocation thing was big. And I, I get it because just years prior to this, 
I was looking to relocate and to, to start new and to start fresh. And I think that that is awesome that a lot of people did um, follow through with that. But for my situation as it was playing out, um, probably the best uh, best case scenario was being able to go remote, yep. um, being able to to stay close to family during, you know, the 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 formative years of my son's life and having him be have relationships with yeah. um, close relationships with all his family members that uh, instantly became like top of the totem pole in in terms of like what was a priority and what was important. And, um, and then just like the pregnancy itself was difficult. My son came early, uh, very premature. He stayed in NICU for, um, three months. So, um, knowing that I would have had to like try and like make a move work with everything that I had going on, um, it was getting more and more impossible by the day. Like as we got further along in the pregnancy, And just having um, support from my manager, from like HR at LinkedIn um, was really helpful because even before remote became a thing, like my situation was on their radar. They were talking through like ways that we could, um, you know, just figure out how to make it work um, and what was best for like my family situation. And as a new employee that doesn't have a lot of skin in the game and in terms of like, what I could provide you technically compared to like your engineers that are already there. Like it's not much when you're first coming in, you don't really know what you're doing and you're trying to feel your way through it. Um, I, I was very grateful for that because they didn't have to, they could have said like, listen, you knew these were the terms and conditions when you signed up to apply, we'd love to work with you, but we just, we, we can't like, and it was the exact opposite. They were, they were trying to figure out like, how can we make this work? because we saw potential, we still see potential. And at the end of the day, like we think that there is a path to you still being able to do this and take care of your responsibilities um, at home and in your personal life. And so it reaffirmed for me that I made the right decision in terms of like other opportunities that arose. And that also that like what I felt when like I first talked to Emily and like when I spoke to my mentor pre joining LinkedIn, like all of that was like, it was real. Cause sometimes, you know, you talk to a company, um, you know, they blow a lot of smoke and then you get fooled and you sign on and yeah. it's like, Oh man, this is not what I experienced during the interview process. Yeah. But for me, um, it, it definitely reaffirmed, uh, their commitment to me and it definitely yeah. strengthened my commitment to LinkedIn for sure. Yeah. We're obviously, we, we have to be a little bit biased, Barry, but I, I back you a hundred thousand <laughs> percent with what you just said, because again, my wife and I went through a, a similar thing where we had our first child, Presley, uh, a couple of months before the start date. So it wasn't, it wasn't, I guess, to the extent that your situation was, but it was similar where there, I had this looming over me that I was going to rip my daughter out of the support network that she had over here in Virginia. And my wife was a, a trooper about it. We were going to treat it as an adventure. It was going to be fun. The, to be quite honest, I think I've said this before. The goal was to basically bust my rear end. I was going to prove myself within a year or two because I knew other engineers were allowed to be remote. So that was the plan. And I was just so grateful that LinkedIn ended up making that <laughs> policy change because again, to your point, if it was just me, like if I was single, I'd, I'd be happy. I'd go to California tomorrow. Like that'd be the life for me. But we're not all in that situation. Like everybody is different. Yeah. And I feel like they definitely 
meet us where we are. And I just, for me, that's instilled so much more loyalty, you know, towards LinkedIn. Yeah, it, it's really funny that just the parallels between our specific situations, because it, my wife and I had that exact conversation about like, okay, like, I'll just go out there. I'm just going to just go all in. I'm going to go really hard. Um, I'll get promoted. We'll, we'll, we'll petition to like be remote because at that point, like I'd be eligible. And then like, you know, so we'll treat it as like, you know, we're just going to live somewhere for a couple of years. It may be the only time that we really get to see the West coast in depth. And so like, we were like trying to spin some positives there um, while knowing that like, that's the unknown. Right. Um, And I was telling her like, worst case scenario, you know, maybe they don't allow me to go remote, but I get some experience and then maybe I transition and I go to the next company and maybe, you know, we find a way that way to kind of get back to um, an environment where we're closer to our family. Um, The way that it worked out though, LinkedIn, just being forward thinking and also like kind of seeing how the model worked during COVID. I think COVID had a huge, it played a huge role because they had apprentices that had signed on during COVID. And so they, they weren't requiring them to relocate because of that. And so seeing that it was something that could still work and then implementing it because of, you know, the ease um, for your employees or or the burden that it may take off of your employees to do that um, for those who probably prefer that, Um, which again is just, it it speaks to kind of the culture and um, the environment and, and the forward thinking kind of model that our company um, has on the whole. Cause there are a lot of companies that went through COVID saw that remote worked, uh, remote work worked really well and still said, uh, oh, we're paying rent. So everybody come back into the office yep. and, and LinkedIn kind of, kind of split the difference and, and has made the office experience, um, to my knowledge, um, very good for the employees who are able to get in there a few times a week while also yep. being able to still support, um, remote workers and especially like a remote worker in my situation with everything I had going on. Um, I was thinking like, man, as it was playing out, I was like, there's no way that they're just going to be able to accommodate. Like, you know, I understood. I was like, this is just, it, it's too much. And it's not necessarily what they signed up for um, in the beginning, but um, they found a way. And I'm just, I'll definitely be forever grateful for that because it definitely just getting the position alone change the trajectory of you know my professional development and my personal life as well and i think that um i would have had to make some tough decisions if they weren't able to work with me and i could be in a completely different spot um so I'm, i'm definitely thankful and grateful for that yeah so from way back when being the argumentative barry johnson growing up to the poli sci <laughs> you are now writing code at linkedin so that is an amazing story barry before we wrap i'd like to throw you on the hot seat for some rapid fire questions if you're up for it yeah absolutely all right what does your morning routine look like <laughs> well that's changed significantly my son uh came <laughs> home from the NICU uh recently so he's been home um, for about three weeks now. And so my morning routine is like four o'clock in the morning, waking up to a screaming baby, um, getting him some food, thinking that I'm going to be able to go back to sleep, but not going back to sleep. So sitting up and probably watching like Dateline or, <laughs> or like Law and Order. 
um, <laughs> like reruns or, or episodes. Um, and then uh, my wife gets up for, for work, um, which allows me to kind of pass him off for a, a couple of moments so I can get some breakfast and some coffee on a good day. There's a gym workout in there, which was definitely happening regularly pre baby. And yep. it's now like, um, uh, de- definitely Thomas. like a perk. Um, if you can get one in, but I like to get a, a workout in, I'll come back, get a shower in, and then I'll, I'll jump on and, uh, start looking at my tasks for the day, um, yep. for, you know, for my, my coding process, but it's changed drastically. That used to be yep. like a much cleaner wake up routine and it's not anymore. Yep. No, for sure. I know mine has changed as well, so I can empathize with that. All right. If money didn't exist, what do you think you would do every day? Hmm. That's actually a great question. I think that if money wasn't, wasn't an obstacle, um, there are probably a couple things that I would do every day. One would be to read. I'm actually like, I'm an avid reader. I, I love to read, um, whether it's like personal books or just like history books, like anything I, I love to read. So that's something that I would definitely commit to doing every day as much as possible. But I also think that if, if it wasn't a thing, um, I really, really like look forward to opportunities to give back either to communities that I was a part of or communities that I feel are, um, you know, underserved. And so I think that every day I would find um, just an event or, or a place where I could give back. Um, part, part, of, part of what I do now, I, I am part of a group called Aspiring Black Coders in Tampa. And basically, we're just a group that um, takes under underrepresented groups and, and kind of passes along any knowledge that we have. So we have some people who are super experienced um, engineers and some who are just starting. And we're all part of the same group, just kind of helping each other and, and putting each other onto opportunities. So that's something that I'm passionate about. But um, I also am not above like a good soup kitchen to go and like serve to the underprivileged or um, to the homeless. And I think that like whatever community you're in, I used to do it in New York. Um, I've gotten away from some of those acts in recent years with my commitments elsewhere. But if I had all the time in the world, that would be like a major thing for me is just yeah, no, giving back and trying to make sure people are, are helped who need it. I love the altruism. I'll, I'll never forget. And I'll never let him forget when I asked Mamadou that question, I'm pretty sure his answer was, he's just going to play video games, maybe not 24 seven, but that was going to be his, <laughs> his thing. So no, I, I love that answer. Barry. That, that's very telling. Well, I enjoy video games. I get a little more <laughs> out of um, helping people, but there, there, there should be time set aside for that as well. For sure. All right. If you could send a single message to your former self to help you during that transition into tech, what do you think that would be? Everything that you want is on the other side of things you may not want to do and things that feel like the hardest thing in the world in that moment. I like that. That That's, that's certainly a message that I would give to myself. And I feel like every time that I've wanted to maybe pivot or say that it's not for me and I've stuck it out a little bit longer, that reward is right on yeah. the back end of that. So yeah, for sure. I like that. All right. Going back to the book thing, do you have any books or podcasts that have had maybe the biggest impact on you? Um, I think a lot of people have read this recently. It's getting a little bit more uh, popular, but um, Atomic Habits 
James Clear. That one is um, pretty awesome. I like that. I also, in terms of podcasts, I used to listen to Code Newbie a lot. Um, I, it, it gives some type of content. It's not all stories um, like this podcast, but a lot of people are in tech. They'll give you their journey. Many of them are more, maybe a little bit more senior um, than us. Um, some of them are not coming from underrepresented backgrounds, but it does give you some perspective into just um, maybe how some more senior people are looking at the tech industry and how yeah. they are looking at people like us coming into it. Um, so Code Newbie is definitely um, one that I that I definitely used to get some good mileage out of. And Atomic yeah. Habits, um, certainly for personal development, is yeah. um, awesome. Also, The Four Agreements um, is a very good one. I haven't heard one. of that one. Yeah. That the four agreements, I think, um, I think most people who have read it would agree that it has changed okay. their perspective on life. So definitely okay. give that one a read. I'll have to add that to my list. All right, tell me about the two or three most influential people in your life and how they impacted you. Man, um, my father is probably at the the top of that list. Um, just, just a general. Um, get it done type of attitude um, that I've kind of adopted from him. He, um, he just never complained. Uh, even like growing up, like he never complained um, and was always just like very solution oriented. So um, I've kind of adopted that to where like when there's an option to complain or try and come up with a solution, I'm going to try and come up with that solution. So very, very rarely do I, um, vent i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but uh very rarely do i have those because like more often than not like my brainstorming is not like how many bad things are happening right now it's what are the solutions to the problems that i'm facing right now and that's kind of helped me go a little bit further um also i would have to say um of course my wife the strength of her belief in me and my abilities is beyond anything that I could um, imagine for myself. So like, even when I am at my point of like most doubt, she just has this um, almost irrational belief in just my ability to just make it happen. Um, Yeah. You know, and make something out of nothing. And so I think that like um, in those moments when I do feel like maybe I can't do something or maybe um, I, I can't push through with this task or maybe, maybe it's just easier to go in a different direction. Um, she is like that voice that is like, no, you're more than capable. Um, and it's not about like, if you can do it, it's about when you're going to complete it because yeah. you're not going to quit. Um, you're going to keep going. Yeah. And I think it's important to have voices like that. Um, just, in the room or around you in your, in your, uh, in your network. Um, so that when, when you're looking in the opposite direction, they can kind of keep you focused, um, on your goals. So yeah, those are probably my top two influential people. No, I love that. So Barry, what's next for you? You're going to work your way up the, the LinkedIn ladder and just keep building those skills. Is that the plan right now? It's funny because I, I told myself I was going to like pause and like take a moment to 
um, reflect on like how far I've come and also like just to be satisfied. Like there's one thing about like my personality type is that like, okay, did that. And now it's like, what's the next thing? So I did tell myself I was going to take a moment to do that, but um, I like the team that I'm on here. I like um, the, the projects that I'm involved in. And I feel that because they're, somewhat all over the place it's giving me like a well-rounded um education as i as i move through these things so i i do think like obviously the the obvious next step is to just continue with that progression but i also think that like along with my manager we're building the foundation now to where i can say like you know in a couple years like i wonder what it'd be like to be a staff software engineer i wonder what it would be like to you know, go for more senior roles. Um, I also think that like, for me, I want to take everything that I'm kind of consuming and be able to give that back to underrepresented people that are in the space or trying to get into the space. And so I think my work with aspiring black coders will continue and I'll have a better vantage point to kind of give better advice and and better guidance there. Um, I could certainly uh, foresee myself doing some mentoring right here at, at LinkedIn from a technical yeah. standpoint. And so I think once I have, you know, fully gotten comfortable in the role, I think those are next steps for me um, simply because I love to teach and I love to help people. And I think that that's a great way to reach back in a space that I feel is really important and needs more underrepresented group um, to be represented within it. Um, yeah. We could probably go on for a whole nother podcast about the amount of bias and technology and artificial intelligence and things of that nature. And I think the the more access that um, the tech space is able to provide through programs like Reach and other apprenticeships, but also through um, just people who, who know and are from that background that are in tech and can reach back and kind of give people information and resources and ways to get yeah. in. Um, I think that that will help to even out that bias. And ultimately, that's what I would like to see for the tech space. Like, I'd like to see us move in that direction um, yeah. and and be more inclusive, because if we're more inclusive, I think we'll be able to help uh, more people with these products that are changing the world every day. So, oh, for sure. And I, I love that, Barry. I love your your this nonstop desire to to give back and and even thinking about the podcast, that was the origin plan for the podcast was trying to crowdsource amazing transformation stories like yours to try to give that blueprint that I know I never had. And that's part of why it took me more than three decades to land my dream job. So yeah, it, it really is, it resonates with me. And I, I think that's amazing that that's your mission. Yeah, for sure. And I think that your three decades that's just part of it for us, right? Like <laughs> yep. that—that—that's some some people's uh, journey is you know a year or two, other people's is five or ten. Yep. I think that um, the the destination or what I've realized is like the destination is not as important as kind of like all those things that kind of take you in different directions. I never would have thought one of my other jobs would have been linked to a manager that I had at a previous job and. You know, I have no knowledge of this new guy knowing this old guy, but that's life, right? Like these things happen. No, no coincidences. Yep. And I know we've talked about all the the past experience that we both have and how they, they do lend themselves to our current role, even if it doesn't seem evident at first, they definitely do translate. So there's value to be had there. For sure. 
All right. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about today or anything else that you think someone that is maybe like you before and trying to break into tech, anything that you want them to know? Yeah. Um, well, one, listen to James's podcast um, because you're going to get <laughs> um, just just a, a shameless plug here. Uh, you're going to get a, a wide array of um, developers or, or engineers with um, different worldviews. Um, and I think that that is an important piece of it. Um, but to anybody who is like on a similar journey or trying to transition maybe from one role into another, I think my biggest takeaway throughout has been um, bet on yourself, number one. Um, I think you you have to, even if you have to fake your confidence for a little while, like fake your confidence, but you need to be confident in your abilities. And um, the caveat to that is while betting your, on yourself, the reason that you should be able to do that is because you know that behind the scenes, you put the work in to where you're a safe bet. Um, and I think if you do those two things, you put that work in and then you can't be scared to showcase that and bet on yourself. Um, you're going to end up in the right spot um, for sure. It worked oh, for me. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it did. All right. Where can people go to find out more about you, Barry? Um, so you can definitely go to my LinkedIn, uh, another shameless plug. Yeah. Um, I actually accept messages from people who are kind of on this journey pretty much every day. I think James, you, you probably have a similar experience there. Um, definitely reach out, feel free. And James, if you want to plug my LinkedIn, please, uh, definitely. by all means do. Yep. Um, but feel free to reach out to me. I am a big proponent of just like giving back and helping any way that I can help you review a resume, do a code review, um, anything that would help you kind of take that next step. Um, I would be grateful to do that. Um, and outside of that, I'm just grateful to be able to build my network because who knows, um, you know, 10 years from now, I could be looking for something else and you could be the person helping me out. So yeah. um, definitely give me a shout on LinkedIn and um, we'll help each other kind of take the yeah. next step. No, I love that. It's a team sport and I will definitely put your LinkedIn in the show notes. And Barry, I just wanted to thank you again for coming on today and sharing your story. I thought I knew you, but I learned so much about <laughs> you and I feel like there's definitely people out there that are going to hear this and I think the story is going to help them. So I just want to thank you for coming on and sharing. Of course. And thank you so much for having me. I think what you're doing here is um, amazing. I've told you that before, but I'll continue to say that um, and keep going any way that I can help. Um, definitely a blast. I love to be on later in, in your podcast development. So maybe we can see where the journey's at yeah. a year or two from now. Oh, that'd be great. We'll do like a, a annual check-in, if not more frequent and see how we're progressing through life and through LinkedIn. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's show, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on Apple or Spotify. It's a free way you can support the show and help other people just like you find the story and others like it. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. And most importantly, if you know someone that might be interested in breaking into tech, tell them about the show.